0: Good morning, church. So, normally this is the uh, portion of the service where we would do our pastoral prayer and then we would do our scripture reading uh, before the message. And today we're going to be kind of combining uh, the pastoral prayer and the, and the scripture message, or the, I'm sorry, the scripture reading. Um, so, as we preach through our sermon series on God's heart for the nations, we want to remind ourselves to be praying for the persecuted church around the world. And with recent events, uh, we want to take the time today to pray in particular for the church in Afghanistan. So in a moment, uh, as I read the passage from Revelations 5, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes for two main reasons primarily. First uh, is to meditate on the passage. Uh, there's a lot of imagery, a lot of beautiful, uh, a beautiful picture that's being painted. And I think just for us to be able to focus on that and draw us more into worship. But then secondly, so that we can use that passage as our way of praying for the church in Afghanistan. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes as I start by reading Revelation 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. in honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the earth, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You humbled yourself to the point of death on the cross, And with your blood, you have bought a people for God. You're making a kingdom of priests from every tribe and tongue and nation. And you have united us in Christ. We are family in a very real and genuine sense, even more than than our blood relations. We are bonded through the spirit of Christ. So today, we we pray for members of our family. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. God, we thank you that in your sovereignty that you have used uh, a window of time to plant the seeds of your gospel in a special way in Afghanistan. You have redeemed people. You have called them out of darkness. You have planted your church. And yet, we see that this is a a new time of of trial and extreme persecution for that church. God, we pray for those brothers and sisters who, who are trying to flee the country, that you would provide protection and safe passage for them, that you would be blinding the eyes of the enemy so that they can travel freely and and get out of the country to, to safety. And God, we pray for those who are choosing to stay, for those who, who love their country but even more love you and desire to see your gospel change their country and the people that, that they love around them. God, I pray that you would be protecting them, that you would be caring for them physically, that you'd be providing for them, but even more so, God, that your spirit would be working to protect their faith, to sustain their faith as they endure persecution beyond what we can even imagine, God. I, I don't understand how faith endures the kind of trials that we hear about. And yet, we know that your grace is sufficient, and we pray, God, that you would be giving it in infinite measure to our brothers and sisters so that their faith would not waver but would instead grow, that they would be bold and courageous, Lord, that your spirit would be moving in the country so that their witness would change hearts and bring many to Jesus and so god i pray that when we stand together worshiping you that we can look to our left and to our right and see brothers and sisters from afghanistan who who came to you in this time as as you used it sovereignly god we pray now as david comes forward to to deliver your word we thank you for his preparation for how you have worked the word over in his heart. And God, we pray that you would be, uh, through the power of your spirit, using him to communicate that to us, helping us to receive it in a way, Lord, that changes us and uh, gives us a, a new heart for the nations and drives us to action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Scott. Well, good morning, Uh, children, four years old, the first grade, you can go ahead and go with Carolyn. We love you, and we hope your Sunday school time is wonderful. It's good to be with you and to serve you. Uh, It's been great serving you this week as I was preparing uh, for this sermon and to serve you even now, um, and and Lord willing, build you up. Uh, Before we Do that. Uh, I know we just prayed, but let's bow our heads and pray again. Lord, we bow and we wave our white flags of surrender, acknowledging that we need your help. Wake us up, Lord, out of the slumber that we are so often lulled into in life. Lift us up and out of ourselves to see your glory. Let your kingdom come and your will be done right here in all the earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So just a few weeks ago, many of you, many of us, had the joy of watching the Olympics. Nearly 200 nations came together for one purpose, with one hope, to win. To beat the competition. And they paraded through a stadium this year with nobody in it, with vibrant colors, with songs of joy that represented their nations. And athletes walked with one another eager to compete and hopefully hear the song of their nation sung as they were lifted high on the podium with a gold medal. In Revelation 5, we are in the heavenly equivalent of the Olympic Stadium. We are catapulted into the throne room of heaven. And if there was ever a place that we could look that would help us understand the nature of reality and how we ought to think about our lives, our world, the mission of the church, what's happening in Afghanistan right now, it is the throne room of heaven. What's happening there is ultimate reality. And it informs how we understand the nature of God's activity in the world and what the future holds for his people. In Revelation 5, we see three things. Number one, reality is dire. Number two, Jesus is beautiful. And number three, hope is true. Number one, reality is dire. The Olympics are quite ironic when you think about it. It's a peculiar thing that the nations parade through a stadium together with joy while in real life some are mortal enemies. How weird is it that nations who could go to war at any moment have athletes playing ping pong together? It's weird because ping pong seems futile in the face of the prospect of war, right? If the nations represented by those athletes went to war, no one's gonna be thinking about who won in ping pong. So it is in life. Beneath the fun and games of life, there is a much more severe and a much more significant story being told. Life is not mostly beautiful, with a little bit of brokenness sprinkled in. It is entirely broken beyond repair with faint glimmers of beauty breaking through its cracks. Don't believe me? Why is it that joy is fleeting and sorrow when we really feel sorrow, it seems permanent? Why is it that hospital beds and divorce papers and leaking bank accounts seem more real than soccer games and good books and even slow meals with good friends why is it that funerals weigh more than birthdays the world is not as it ought to be and even more it is so far beyond what we long that it will become, that when we see it as it is, we're tempted to despair. We're desperate for hope. In the first verse of Revelation 5, we're introduced to the scroll. The one on the throne holds it in his hands. What is this scroll? This scroll is God's answer to the direness of reality. It is his future plan of justice, mercy, and redemption. It tells the tale of God fulfilling his promises to bring righteousness to bear on the world, to redeem a people for himself, and to vanquish sin and death forever. And so it's no wonder that the resounding cry in heaven is, Who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? In other words, who can bring about God's promises? In verse 3, we read, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John weeps at the thought of this scroll going unopened. He weeps at the thought of reality remaining in bondage to wickedness, decay, and death. We get a hint here at a holy despair. For if there is no one worthy to open the scroll, then God's promises to his people will go unfulfilled and the world will languish forever. And the question we have to consider is, would we have wept with John? Do we weep now over reality? And some of us answer, absolutely. Maybe you've experienced loss or the threat of it. Maybe your body is decaying, or it feels like it is. Your mind is fading. Your heart is rent with a despair that has no meaning. Whatever it is, you cry out, I get it. I weep every day. However, for many of us, we don't weep over the reality of the world why because we have built our own little worlds our own little kingdoms complete with castles and thrones and icons that dance on a screen in front of us our reality is cozy and comfortable i don't even need to leave my home to buy socks I just tap on the screen and they are in the mail two days later on my doorstep. Reality isn't dire to us because we work hard to keep it from touching us. And when even just a little bit of it does, it's overwhelming and even offensive. We can barely handle being cut off in traffic, losing Wi-Fi, we're enduring disagreement without throwing a fit. We're consumed with our own little kingdoms and them prospering. Even more, we, like Olympians, we work. We work that we might win in life. That we and our people who dwell in our kingdom would prosper. Is it any wonder then that we remain apathetic to the gospel going to the nations? As long as my kingdom is going well, who cares? God's mission to the nations does nothing for me and my kingdom. It does nothing to improve my circumstances or boost the hopefulness of my future. In fact, it really promises the opposite we fail to see the preeminence of god's mission because it plays second fiddle to our own and yet the lives of real people are on the line here but we often fail to see the grim and hopelessness of their future without jesus because we're too busy feeling guilty about our bibles collecting dust on our shelves We have brothers and sisters who right now might be being shot in Afghanistan in front of their children because of the name of Jesus. And yet, how wonderful, how marvelous is it that we're hearing words from the church in Afghanistan we're not going to run. We're not going to run. We're going to keep preaching the gospel. How do they get that kind of perseverance? It isn't looking at the direness of their reality. The direness of their reality is hitting them straight in the face. No, it's looking at something beyond their reality. Something more beautiful than the mayhem that they're enduring. And that's what we see here in Revelation five. Number two, Jesus is beautiful. Some of you have seen the most recent Avengers movie, Avengers Endgame, and in it, the Avengers, for those of you who haven't seen it, they're a heroic heroic group of courageous heroes who are on the hunt for an evil villain named Thanos who wants to take over the universe. Wipe out half the universe. And in one of the last moments of the movie, spoiler alert, I don't care because you've had plenty of time to watch it. (laughs) In one of the last moments of the movie, Iron Man. Maybe the the one that, that demonstrates the pursuit of his own kingdom in grand fashion, shockingly, and beautifully sacrifices his life to defeat the enemy. The moment is majestic, inspiring, and heart-wrenching. But for those of you who have seen that movie, who've seen that scene, how many of you, as it was playing out on the screen, were thinking about your own stress, pain, or anxiety? I guarantee, probably not. Of course you weren't. You were caught up into the glory of the moment and the beauty of self-sacrificing love. That story and so many others is a shadow of God's answer to John's weeping and the dire state of reality. And his answer is one thing, the beauty and majesty of Jesus. Read in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Weep no more, he says. Why? Because Jesus is the king of kings. And like a lion, he stands victorious over sin, death, hell, and the devil. And yet in the next verse, we read, in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He is a mighty lion king, but also a sacrificial lamb. He has all the power and majesty and influence of a lion, and all the gentleness, purity, and servant-heartedness of a lamb. And this lion lamb appears before the heavenly host, and they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. An Olympic athlete labors to win, and as I was saying before, when they do, they are exalted before everyone, declared worthy, declared proven, tested, and found worthy, and they're rejoiced over with the song of their nation. The Lion Lamb has proven himself to the one who sits on the throne and to the world that he is worthy to mediate God's plan of redemption. And this is the song that reverberates through the halls of heaven. It's like there's a cosmic crowd that's going wild. (sighs) But how did he prove himself? How did he show himself worthy? He was slain. He gave up his throne. Our cosmic victor won through defeat. He conquered through being conquered. Thus his worthiness is otherworldly because self-sacrificial love is foreign to a world in which self-preservation is how we win in life. How idiotic would it be for an Olympian to say, well, I'm going to win by being last. It's absurd. Self-sacrificing love is foreign to the world. And yet his defeat wasn't purposeless. His defeat was effectual, meaning it did something. It was a ransom. The nations were kidnapped, enslaved to sin, death, and the devil. A ransom was required. Not of, one, of money, but of blood. And Jesus chose to pay it in full. He switched places with us. He purchased our freedom by submitting to death. We are his people now as a result. And the people that he has purchased for himself is not just made up of people like us. Rather, his people transcends every boundary line, every language barrier, every accent, every skin color, every cultural background, every geographical location. And right now, he is calling that people out from among all peoples a diverse, multinational, global community of people who love Jesus more than anything else. He has made and is making a new nation, a new tribe, a new kingdom. This is true salvation. It is the crumbling of our own kingdoms and our own thrones and the raising up of a new one a bigger one, a better one. This kingdom is one of priests. And what that means is that we together as the people of God have full access to God's presence as a result of the blood of Jesus. And we will reign over the earth and participate in the redemption that God is doing in the world. We're invited into an epic story cosmic proportions so why is it that we are more enthralled with things like the marvel universe than we are with this story or why does the lord of the rings feel more real than the bible which testifies to this story maybe in part it's because we don't read the bible as it actually is We read the Bible like a self-help book that's designed to improve our experience of our own world, our own kingdoms, rather than this glorious window to God's grand and global mission of mercy. His mission is not myth, unlike all these other stories, but history. It isn't legend, but fact it is as true as the events that are happening in Afghanistan right now and all over the world. In some ways, it's truer. And notice for a moment that this scroll is already written. The future is prepared. This epic mission that Christ has won is already set in stone. It will happen and it is happening now. We think about missions primarily as something to do and though it is that, it's also something to see, to witness, not from your armchair, purely just writing a check to an unknown person. Although it's wonderful for us to give It's by being a part of what's going on right in the thick of it. We're invited to participate in something that's already prepared. God is on the move in the world. And some of us are being left behind. And we will remain behind if we don't see that reality is dire, that Jesus is beautiful, and even more, that hope is true. So on June 29th, 2019, my wife and I stood before a group of people and before God and made vows to one another. I promised to my wife to love her, to sacrifice for her, to serve her and lead her for the rest of my life. Now, at that moment and today, my wife has a choice. Will she believe that promise or not? If she doesn't believe me, that's going to influence so much of the way that she lives and the way that our marriage operates in the same way she does believe me. The hope that we have in promises made is built on trust. A promise is worthy of that kind of trust. Only if the person who has made it has proven themselves to be trustworthy and capable of making good on that promise. Jesus has done just that. He's proven himself to us by the power of his sacrificial love. He was slain. And yet, the way in which he's proven to us his sacrificial love is he's slain no longer. If he remained slain, then the promises he has made are irrelevant to us because he's no longer alive to fulfill them. Death would have proven itself more worthy than him. If Jesus is dead, our future is incredibly bleak. And yet John doesn't see a dead lamb. He sees a lamb as though it had been slain, but stands alive and well. Thus, our future is not bleak, but incredibly bright, perfectly bright. If he's alive, we will be raised with him. And all of God's people together. This kind of hope makes us want to sing and in Revelation 7, just a few chapters after Revelation 5, if we do our math right, we hear the people of God singing in response to this good news, in response to what they see in Revelation 5. It's like they, they hear this good news and they're singing it back into heaven. Look at Revelation 7 if you're there, verses 9 to 12. Consider what it's going to be like to sing these words with brothers and sisters who love the same Jesus we love from every nation and language brought together before God's throne. Brothers and sisters from Brazil, Mozambique, China, Greenland, Burundi, Egypt, Iran, Israel, India, Australia, Mexico, Afghanistan. Cambodia, Nepal, Paraguay, Peru, Sweden, Iraq, Russia, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Thailand, Syria, Senegal, Namibia, Moldova, Monaco, Guyana. People that have spoken all kinds of different languages like English and Hindi and Swahili and Bengali and Spanish and Mandarin and Portuguese and Indonesian. Together we will sing one song, one anthem together. The song of heaven, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb and the one who sits on the throne. This is the closing ceremony of history and the opening ceremony of eternity. Because Jesus lives, this is a sure thing. It's fact. Our hope is true, we will receive this promise. We will sing with God's people, and we will receive the promise in verses 15 to 17. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, the people of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Our hope is not that our own kingdoms will prosper but that the nations will live forever with God to work for him without hunger or thirst or the pain of the blazing sun on a hot day. That is a reversal of the curse held out in Genesis 3. We will no more be banished from Eden, but the one who justly banished us from Eden will now welcome us in in love and shelter us. No more will we be lost, nomads in the desert, but we will be shepherded by the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, the Lamb who gave everything for us. And in this hope, God's people are satisfied and all that has brought us tears, all that has brought us tears will be redeemed into something that will serve not to bring us despair, but to glorify Christ's power to bring life out of death, Would your life look any different than it does right now if this was not true? And if it is true, which we believe it is, what are we doing about it? Your neighbors, coworkers, family members who don't know Jesus are languishing and will not be shepherded by the living Jesus in the future, but will bear cheeks wet with tears for eternity with no good news. Reality is dire. Real people in the Philippines, Romania, Turkey, Honduras are in the same predicament. Consider praying for our ministry partners in those very nations. Consider getting their email and sending them an an encouraging email to build them up in their ministry. We have foreign nations represented in our church here, men and women who need practical help and encouragement, teaching about the gospel. There are young boys and girls who don't know Jesus, who are coming to faith in Jesus and are being mentored through Center for Champions. Consider what it might be like to Shepherd, a young boy and a girl. There are students who are far off in public high schools that young life is working to serve and to reach. Consider how you can partner with them. We're going to hear from Jeremy in a bit. There is not a lack of opportunity here. Only a lack of motivation. And Revelation 5 offers storehouses of it. In Christ, mission is not drudgery, but an adventure into the majestic mission of God. And let's join him in it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for purchasing us and all your people throughout the world and throughout all of time. Break down our kingdoms, Lord. Break down our thrones that we might lean on you, that we might bow before yours, that we might get caught up into the glory of what you're doing in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.